0: Hey, good to see everybody today. Merry Christmas. I'm so glad you're here. You made it, and uh, we're having a, a good time so far, and if you're our guest, I'm so glad you came. I really do want to invite you back, especially if it's kind of new for you being in church. In January, launching the series, Shape It, and uh, I think all of us could stand to probably invest in, in the shape of our own lives a little bit more intentionally, and, and to really learn to shape our lives with, with the heart of God and the wisdom of God. And so that's what that series is going to be about. So uh, tar- start the new year right and uh, get started with, a, with a, a word from God. Anyway, I want to just ask a, a question. By the way, I got a, a new Christmas leather jacket for myself. It's, it's vegan. So anyway, you, you know what that means. It just means it was cheap. That's what that means. Anyway, uh, how many of you have a dog and you love your dog? Show of hands, do you love your dog? You got a dog you love? Okay, so I have a dog I love. My dog, her name is Sugar. She's a cute little... Dog, she's a bug, so that means she's um, part Boston Terrier and part pug. She's so cute, and and she's a very stoic and very extremely serious-minded little dog. I mean, she's very serious all the time. Except for when I take her lips and put them up on her teeth so I can get a funny picture of her. And she's like, I can't believe you do this to me. Anyway, I'm sure I'm the only one who messes around with her dog like that. Anyway, uh, a a few weeks ago, I was going to do some work in the backyard. And so I was coming around the side of the house. And all of a sudden, my dog starts, you know barking at me and running towards me, like barking her head off at me. And what she, what she said to me, she said, you're going you're gonna to be in so much trouble. My owner's going to kill you. I and mean, that's what she was saying. I interpret dog. And that's what she said. And so uh, I, I, I started, you know, I couldn't hold back. I'm, I'm talking back to her and I said something like this to her. I said, don't you know that you exist in this domain by my sheer benevolence? How dare you bark at me? Stuart, do they like use fake American accents over in England when they're talking to their dogs I don't know but but you know So I I said this to my dog and it's just so bizarre I know I'm the only one who talks in weird voices to my dog when we're alone right I'm the only one and uh, so I just felt myself thinking how grateful I am that God is not like that you know that God has a voice to us which is a voice of love and that God created this world for us as the perfect domain and when when we begin to get in those moments where we start barking about this and that, God's response to us isn't to shut us down, but it's to receive us with love and care. And in fact, he created this world as this perfect domain for us. And then when we went and messed it up through sin, then God implemented his promised plan to enter right into the mix and the mess of the sin so that he could rescue us and that's why we make such a big deal out of christmas because it is the rescue implementation operation and so we recognize in christmas that god has sent the rescuer so that we can be redeemed that at christmas that the king has come so that we can become the kids that he's always meant for us to be somebody shout merry christmas today Merry Christmas. This is the glory of God, that there is a rescue operation that has been implemented and that it's available for every single one of us. And so Christmas is a time to celebrate. And we got the cast of Christmas probably down. I mean, we all know the cast of Christmas, right? We got Mary and Joseph. They're the regulars right at the middle of it all in every nativity scene. And you got the the angels, and, and, and they show up to Mary and Joseph. And then you got the shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks by night. And you've got the wise men that Pastor Alan was talking about that come following the star and and we're used to those ones but there's this one character of Christmas that you hardly ever hear about and his name is Zechariah and so I wanted to just get a few pictures up to keep my fifth grade friends engaged for a minute so you know maybe he looked like this I don't know but Zechariah he would be the earthly uncle of Jesus on his mother's side and Uh, He's got a lot of the Christmas story, even though we don't hear about him much. There's 37 verses that are all devoted to Zechariah or are his words. That's more verses than Mary got. That's more verses than Joseph got. That's more verses than the shepherds. That's more verses than the wise men. He's a pretty big deal. And the angel Gabriel shows up to him. And I don't know what it would have been like, but the angel Gabriel shows up. It is a big deal anytime it happens. And so Gabriel shows up and begins to talk to this guy, Zechariah, and he says to him, look, you're going to have a son, and your son is going to be John the Baptist. I mean, he doesn't say it quite like that, but that's the meaning of it. But he also says to this guy who would become the uncle of Jesus, he says, Mary, your niece, she's going to have a baby, and it's the Messiah and, and you got to know something, Zechariah is just trying to take it all in. I mean, he's got angel Gabriel appearing to him, he's, got, he's heard about angels appearing to Mary, he's got the, the promises of God swirling around in his head, and when it all begins to take place, long story short, after the birth, he just can't even contain himself, and he begins to prophesy. And, and the words of his prophecy are in Luke chapter 1 and verse 67, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then he began to prophesy, and this is what he said. He said, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. I want you to read that verse out loud with me so that we can all get these words of Zechariah on our minds. Ready? Say it nice and strong. Just as he promised. I love that phrase, just as he promised. Just as he promised through his holy servant long ago. You know, Zechariah knew that that we needed a mighty Savior. I mean, that's what he said. God has sent us a mighty Savior. Someone say mighty Savior. Mighty Savior. And Zechariah, as a, a priest and, and prophet living in Israel around the turn of the millennium, I mean, he could... He could very much relate to the need for a mighty savior. He recognized that his people were living under the Roman occupation, didn't have any freedom, didn't have any rights, were under oppression from an external force that was ruling over them, and and they'd been crying out, we need a mighty savior. He knew that his people needed a mighty savior. But we need a mighty savior still. We need a mighty savior. People who are far from God need a mighty savior who could come in and, and draw us near People who are stuck in darkness need a mighty savior who can pierce through that darkness with his light People who are going through hell right now need a mighty savior who can come through and say, I'm taking you through it People who are headed for hell need a mighty savior who can come in and say, there's a way for you not to go there People who are living with sickness and bondage need a mighty savior who can come in and say I'm your healer and I'm your deliverer People who are living with emptiness on the inside need a mighty savior that can come and say I'm gonna fill you up Who are living right now with the threat of emptiness and meaninglessness and despair need a mighty savior and that's who he is just say it he's the mighty savior he is the mighty savior and zechariah he knew that this promise meant something and that it had to be fulfilled and so my message to you today in short is this believe it believe in the promise of what god said so you can receive the power of who god is I want you to believe today, believe in the promise of what God said so that you can receive the power of who God is. He's the mighty Savior. So Zechariah said, the promises of long ago have been fulfilled. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe Zechariah was thinking about something in particular. Because see, Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple in Jerusalem. And he was one of the ones who would go into the holy place, you know? And he was also somebody who was, It said in verse 67, full of the Holy Spirit. And we see because he's prophesying, he's also a prophet. This man is a man who was in touch with the move of God and with the word of God. And so when he says all of those promises from long ago, they've been fulfilled, I wonder if maybe he's thinking of specific ones. I bet you he was probably imagining right there in that moment those words from Micah long ago where Micah said in Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, from you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, will come one who will be the ruler of Israel. I wonder if maybe Zechariah was thinking about the prophecy of Balaam. In Numbers 4 who said ah the star of Jacob will rise and a scepter will arise out of Israel I wonder if maybe he was thinking about the prophecies of Daniel where Daniel said in Daniel seven thirteen, I see something it's one who could only be described as a son of man and he's being presented before the ancient of days I wonder if Zechariah is just imagining that and connecting the dots and thinking about Isaiah's prophecies where Isaiah said in Isaiah 42 6 That the Messiah would come, and that he would be a light to the nations, and that he would open the eyes of the blind. I wonder if maybe he was thinking about the prophecies that were spoken by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where Isaiah said, the virgin will conceive, she'll give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Emmanuel? And it will mean God with us. I mean, come on, Zechariah had all of those kind of, when he says these words that we just read through quickly, you got to know that's what was on his mind. Look at those words one more time in verse 68, verse 70, and hear it again, what he said. He said, he has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Someone say, just as he promised. Just as he promised. Zechariah knew those promises. Promises are powerful and they're important. And how we experience promises can shape us and affect us and leave a mark on us. I was thinking about some of the different promises I've experienced in my life. And I remember being a a freshman in high school and a traveling salesman came by our house in New Jersey. And this guy was selling windows and doors and uh, picked a perfect neighborhood. Our houses were all going on 30 years old and needed them. And so uh, my dad had been a traveling salesman in his younger years. And so he had a soft spot in his heart for a guy doing that kind of work. So we welcomed him in and uh, we sat down at the kitchen table. And I remember being there and the guy went through his whole spiel, opened the the book, showed us the pictures. And we needed a new sliding glass door. And, and so this guy was talking about it, and he was like, hey, listen, this is the best sliding glass door you ever see. I, 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 I promise you, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. I promise. I promise. And sir, if you would just give me a 30%, uh, a, a full payment today, I could give you a 30% discount. But that deal is only available right now, so uh, how about that? You know, so... Come on, the New York evil con man has to show up at least once in a while. And uh, so it was New Jersey, so it could happen, right? Anyway, the, he, he offered this deal, and my dad, you know, soft spot for the salesman because he was one, and we needed it. So he, he actually went for it, gave the guy a check for something around $2,000, and this is, in, you know, whatever, 1990-something. And, and uh, we scheduled the day for a couple weeks later for the installation, and the, and the new sliding glass door was going to be coming, except it never did. And never did, because that guy, I can imagine him, right? He's kicking it at the bar a couple days later. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm buying drinks for everybody because I got $2,000. And I, I told this guy that I would give him a, a 30% discount. <laughs> I crossed my fingers when I made that promise, let me tell you. Huh? Right? And that's the deal, isn't it? That's the problem, right? With, with someone's like, that was a pretty good New York accent there, Pastor. <laughs> but the problem is exactly that, that promises get made, but people are doing this, you know? They're crossing their fingers behind their back because they're not going to keep it and they know it. And then as kids, we learn to say crazy stuff like this. I promise. I promise. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Why do we say that? That's terrible. You know? I hope it never happens. But we say it because all of us know the reality that promises get diminished. And, and so we find ourselves wondering if we can even believe them, because they're probably not going to do what they said probably going to let me down like that that guy did probably going to break this deal just like she did probably going to walk away just like he did probably going to let me down just like the other ones all have and we find ourselves going i don't even know i don't even know if i can believe somebody promises something what does it even mean you know, And so we struggle when we hear this word promise. On one hand, it's, it's powerful and, and there's something to it. But on the other hand, we don't know if we can trust it. But I want you to hear this. God, when, when Jesus was born, this is God making good on every promise he ever made. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says it like this. It says, for no matter how many promises were made. They are yes in Christ. I want you to read this verse out loud with me from the screen. Ready, go. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us for the glory of God. No matter how many promises that God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes. But the Amen is spoken by who? The Amen is spoken by us. You see, every promise has an issuer, the one who is stating the promise, and a recipient. And the power of the promise is made potent by the willingness of the recipient to believe it. And so when the scripture says, and the amen is spoken by us, that is uh, maybe a, a tricky language a little bit, but the essence of it is, we're the ones on the other side of the promise. We're the ones on the other side who have heard what God has promised he would do, and we're saying, in a sense, amen. I believe you for it, God. I believe you for it, God. I believe you'll deliver me. I believe you'll rescue me. I believe you got a plan for me. I believe that you're going to set me free. I believe you're creating a pathway to heaven for me by the blood you shed. I believe you for it, God. Shout, I believe you for it, God. Don't let this Christmas just be a hallmark deal. Let it be a faith moment for you where once again, you either re-up again, I believe you for it, God, or you come for the first time and say, this is new, (laughs) but man, I need this. I need this freedom, this forgiveness, this deliverance, and so I believe you for it, God. Every promise God has made is yes in Christ. The amen is spoken by us. You have a part to play in the Christmas story. You have a part to play in the promises God has made because you're the recipient of them. And as the recipient, there's got to be a moment where you say, I believe you for it, and I hope you will. A promise is powerful. A promise is powerful because a promise is able to create a sense of expectation. When a promise is made, it creates expectation because it's about the future and what may yet be. And when you embrace an expectation about what may yet be, it creates inside of you anticipation. You're looking forward to something. You know that there's something yet ahead that is better than what is. And that sense of anticipation rises up within you as animation. Animation, that that energy, spiritual energy within that allows you to keep going and say, I'm going to make it. And so the promise that was made by God to the Jewish people so long ago allowed the Jewish people in trial after trial after trial to say, we're still going to make it. Oh, Red Sea, you're moving because our God is going to make a way. The promise creates a sense of expectation and it allows there to be a sense of anticipation that rise, animation to keep moving forward and fighting for it. And it's the same for you and me. Because of the promises God has made, we're able to stand in faith and say, I'm going to make it. Through the challenge that i got to face right now, my God's got a breakthrough for me. The best is yet to come. There is goodness ahead for me. My God has got a hope and a promise for me, and I believe him for it. Somebody say amen. Amen. Don't you want to see the power of God move in your life? Then you believe in the promise of what he has said so that you can receive the power of who he is. There's so much potential and power in a promise. You know, uh, as a pastor, one of the things that that I get to do fairly frequently is I get to uh, officiate weddings, and and it's beautiful every time. And I haven't ever been to an ugly wedding. I have to. <laughs> they're always pretty, you know. And what happens first? I do it a kind of traditional way, and so the traditional way, the bride's coming up the middle aisle, and I'm standing here with the groom, and I ask what's called the declaration of intent question. And I I say to the bride, when she comes right up to that altar, uh, I say, in a sense, what are you here for? But I use old-fashioned language, and I say, do you desire to establish your home with this man and to create a home where he will be loved and cared for as long as God grants him life? And you know what? Never once have I had a gal say, no <laughs> you know? she's like what what are you talking about i was just doing all this for the gram you know no that never happens she comes up to that moment and i ask that question and she says with tears in her eyes yes right and what comes next is then i have them face each other and then they exchange vows and the vow is a promise so a few months back, uh, we, we had a friend who was finishing a degree in photography, and she needed to do a final project as a photographer, and it had to be a picture of a, of a wedding, you know, composition kind of thing. So she needed a, a couple to be like the, the models for this wedding, and it, was, it had to be done like the next day or something, you know, and so she happened to call my wife, Ann and she said, hey, do you happen to still have your wedding dress? And does your husband have like a tux or something? And because and, I need a model for this wedding shoot that I have to, mock wedding shoot. And lo and behold, we still had the wedding dress. 17 years later, now I know why we kept it. And so we became the models for this uh, mock wedding. Like and, and look, I mean, 17 years later and it still fits. There is a God who performs miracles yet, right? And anyway, so it was. it was actually so much fun like to, after 17 years, to take that out and, and to put it on again. And, and for me, it kind of flooded me with memories, you know, flooded my mind with memories because the last time I saw that dress on my wife, 17 years earlier, at our wedding day, and, and I just couldn't even help it. Like the, the, the memory was rushing back to me of that moment where we stood at the altar and where my brother-in-law, who was the pastor that was leading us in that moment, led us in making our vows to each other. And I remember that moment when my wife looked into my eyes and she said her vow to me, wearing that very same dress that day, and she said, I, and take you, John, to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we're separated by death. And as God is my witness, I give you my promise. I remember saying that to me, speaking those words to me. And you know what? She's made good on it. She's done what she said she'd do. She's kept the promise. She's been who she said she would be for me. And it's changed my life. And that's the deal, right? A promise that's kept can change everything. A promise that's kept can change the very trajectory of your life. A promise that's kept can change your experience of reality and transform everything about your life. And in Christmas, what we get is the promise that is kept, eternally kept by the living God. What he said he would do, he did. And he has come, the promised Messiah, Jesus. Ah, man, I'm, I'm grateful for Grateful for the promise God kept. And I think about Isaiah and the prophecy that Isaiah made. And yes, Isaiah is the one who said in Isaiah seven fourteen, the virgin will conceive and she'll be with child. And, and you, you call him Emmanuel, God with us. But Isaiah also prophesied about who he would be. And this is one of the promises about Christmas that I love because it, it isn't just about how Christmas would happen. Oh, born and laying in a manger or any of that. It, it's about who he would be. And so it's in Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 6, and I want you to just turn there and, and hear this particular promise. Isaiah 9 verse 6, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and His government and its peace will never end. He'll rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I love that Isaiah caught a sense of the fiery zeal of God. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. It's as though God is saying, I'm making a promise, and I'm going to keep it with all my heart. You better believe it, you know? And so my message to you today is, again, believe. Believe it. Believe in the promise of what God said so you can receive the power of who God is. And this promise gives us a four-part revelation of of the nature of who he is, of of who Jesus is. And and so don't let it be something that you skip over, but feast on it for a minute. Uh, First of all, let's read it together, Isaiah 9, 6. I want you to read it nice and strong uh, off of the screen. Ready, go. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. And first of all, he's the Wonderful Counselor. And the fact that he is the Wonderful Counselor, it's the promise of God's presence and comfort and guidance for our lives you know i've seen a lot of different kinds of counselors in my life i remember when uh when i was growing up as a teenager (laughs) we saw a family counselor a number of times because things were rough and we needed it i remember when i was newly married i saw a financial counselor because i needed to figure out what in the world to do with money you know and i remember growing up as a teenager i saw the guidance counselor a lot actually in my high school and uh as a pastor, I've I've sat there as the pastoral counselor with countless numbers of folks dealing with issues and and I remember being in a court case where there was a trial and I was a witness and, and I stood on the witness stand as a counselor, asked me questions while he was pleading the case of the plaintiff and And in all these situations, right, there's all kinds of counsel that came through, and I think some of it was probably good counsel that came across, but you know what? There's nothing like the counsel of wonderful counselor Jesus because you don't have to pay him 150 bucks an hour to be able to sit with him. You don't have to be in trouble to go down to his office and get some insight. You don't have to be in a court case because you need him to plead. He is the wonderful counselor and his counsel is always available to you. When you don't know what to do, wonderful counselor Jesus has light to shine on your pathway. When when you are feeling alone, you need no look no further than to Jesus himself and wonderful counselor is Jesus and he's there for you. When you have no sense, sense of direction wonderful counselor Jesus provides it come on somebody say he's the wonderful counselor it's the promise of God's presence and comfort and guidance in our lives and he's the mighty God come on say he's the mighty God I remember going with my family on a road trip and we went to the Grand Tetons And if you've never been there, it's pretty amazing. And when you come up from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and you look at these majestic mountains, I looked at those mountains, and and I couldn't help but think, my gosh, those are some mighty mountains right there. And I remember sitting down and having dinner with a a mega millionaire internationally known athlete. And I couldn't believe I was getting to just have dinner with this guy and talk to him about the word of God. And and I just remember thinking to myself, this is a mighty influencer in the whole world of sports. I can't believe I could talk to him. And I I remember, you know, sitting with a a businessman who had businesses in seven different countries and, and was like a mover and shaker in economics. And I thought to myself, this is a mighty businessman. Man, right here, and how in the world do I get to talk to him? And it was so impressive. But you know what? As much as those things are mighty, there's nothing like the might of our mighty God who created this world out of nothing. There's nothing like the mightiness of mighty God who, before we even knew we would need to be rescued, created the perfect plan for it to be carried out in just the right time. He is the mighty God. Come on, shout. He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. That's who He is, and He's the everlasting Father. He's the everlasting father, Uh, the everlasting father. This is the promise of a forever and healthy family experience with Jesus. You know, I had a good dad. My dad was a good one. And we had some rough moments, and he wasn't perfect, but the upshot was good. I had a good dad. But he's gone. He has gone the way of all the earth. Seven years ago. Maybe for some of us, we had an experience like that. We'd say, yeah, it kind of hurts. Dad was good, and he's gone. Maybe others of us, we hear this concept of dad or father, and it just triggers some things inside of us, because truth is the one we had, it wasn't good. And we don't even want to talk about why not, you know? And for others of us, we're going, dad, I didn't even know mine. He he was gone half the time, or disappeared, or walked out, or whatever. And so we hear about father, and it just kind of pushes us a little, leaves us wondering, really? But... The promise of God in identifying Jesus, Messiah, as Everlasting Father is because God wanted for every single one of us to be able to have a redemptive experience of the Father experience. So that we could know a Father who would never leave, who would never abandon, who would never abuse, who would never walk away, who would be there with consistency that's so strong it could only be called Everlasting and he is the everlasting father. That's who he is. Come on, somebody say he's the everlasting father. What that means is that the orphan spirit has got to go. You belong to the family of God. You are part of a forever family where you are included, and you've got a covering from your papa, God in heaven. He's not a distant deity that you have to wonder who he even is. He's a Father, he's a good dad, and you can cry out in that spirit that says, Abba, Father, Daddy God, I believe in you. I believe in the promise of who you are, my everlasting father and my prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. Say, he's the prince of peace. For so many of us, our lives are marked by so much chaos, conflict, anxiety, and panic, and angst, and distress, and pressure. And all the while, God looks with mercy in his eyes. Going, My daughter, I want better for you than that. My son, that's not what I have for you. I have for you the gift of my son Jesus. He's the prince of peace. And the prince of peace, the promise of this, is that anxiety and panic and fear and chaos does not rule over you. Because he's the prince, and a prince rules, and he's the prince of peace, and so you can receive it and walk in it. But you've got to believe him for it. Believe in the promise of what God said so you can receive the power of who he is. Believe. You know, for a lot of us, uh, this issue of promise is intriguing, but we're wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas again? Well... What it has to do with Christmas is that it happened, you know? And actually, when you read through the Christmas story, it all kind of happens quickly. You know, you, you read it in, in Luke, that's the most full version of Christmas. Mark's Christmas story is, and then James, Jesus came along and got baptized. Like, it doesn't even happen, right? But Luke tells you the whole detail. But, but in, in Luke, it says that in Luke 2, Mary and Joseph went up to Bethlehem, and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to the firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That's it. That's it. That's Christmas. It happens. But you know what's interesting? That even as it happened and he was laid in a manger, even that moment is bathed in a sense of, promise because remember promise creates expectation for the future and and even in that manger even the the one in the manger himself is still promise he's promise fulfilled and promise yet to be because even the manger beckons us to believe for who he will become And, and the promise draws out from us a sense of expectation for what yet could be the promise draws out from us a sense of anticipation of what will be when he Grows to do what we think he's going to grow to do. And so everybody gathers around that manger and, and, and stares in and, and expectation, with anticipation, with a holy animation about what can happen now. I can be forgiven, I could be set free. I could be redeemed, I could be rescued, I could be lifted up, I could be raised up, I could be led into the future that has the glory of God in it. Ah, It has happened. And they they stood there believing. And I hope that we would do the same. We'd kind of gather around the manger and just catch the, the potential of it. But remember, a promise is powerful, but the power... The promise is in the believer's willingness to receive it. So will you? Will you believe in the promise of what God has spoken so that you can receive the power and essence of who he really is? You know, when we talk about promise, I think some of us are still a little bit hung up about something. We're thinking about the promises that didn't get kept in our lives. And it's, it's tough, man. We, we have real issues with promises that were made that were broken. And it hurts still. And in order for us to, to really come to this place around the manger where we would believe in the promise, I think maybe we need to actually deal with some of the heaviness of the, some of the promises that got broken. And, and I want us to do that now, to let this be a holy moment in the presence of God, to not have to make everything look all polished and pretty, but to recognize there were some promises that have been a total letdown, and it's left me aching inside. What do I do with that? This is what we do. We take the pain of it, recognize the poison that it is, and surrender it to God. We must do that. That's where real freedom comes. And so I want us to do that actually right now, to let this place be an altar would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your promise and your faithfulness to keep your promise. But truthfully, God, for many of us right now, we uh, we, we hurt because there have been promises broken in our lives. And we don't want to play pretend. We want to actually deal with those things, God. It was the way he died. It happened too quickly. It seemed... Just unjust. <laughs> it was what she did. It's still unbelievable to me that she could do that. It's the way he just disappeared, gone. Like what? Okay, we, we got so many of those kinds of things, right? But let's not that let that become a, a wedge between between us and our God. So I want you to just, while you're praying right now, you just identify that thing that... Broken promise and I want you to just maybe pray like this and say God I surrender to you the pain I feel over the promises that have been broken maybe for somebody right now it's it's you you feel like God I surrender to you the guilt I feel over the promises I broke could you just do that right now let this be a holy moment with God and 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 say it in your own way God I surrender to you the pain I feel over the promises that have been broken while I'm praying what I sense in the spirit is that right now it's like as though God is creating a holy vortex where he's swooshing up and away all of that that would keep you from experiencing the goodness of his faithfulness he's taking it now as you've said this to him God I surrender to you the pain of the promises broken He's sweeping it away. And in its place, he's pouring in the gold and the frankincense, the myrrh that was given to him. That's what I see in the spirit right now. I believe you for this, God. And to allow it to be a healing moment for many of us. God, would you let a a healing move of your hand sweep across every one of our hearts where promises have been broken. We now choose to shift our attention, God, to the promise that you've kept. And we choose now to believe you, God, for your promises to be kept." We choose to believe that you will keep your promises, God. Why don't you say this with me? I choose to believe that you will keep your promises, God. I want you to say it again. I choose to believe that you keep your promises, God. One more time. I choose to believe that you keep your promises, God. Come on, say it again. I choose to believe that you keep your promises, God One more time, say it. I choose to believe that you keep your promises, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You are the promise-keeping God, and we honor you, Lord. Amen and amen.